I keep trying to disprove all those myths. I, I uh, smoke as much ganja as I can. <laughs> uh, sometimes that's all day long. Sometimes that's not for days at a time. Uh, but uh, so far, my friends and people around me tell me I'm the most productive person they know. Man, really, my response is, you know, uh, focus, organization, and man, like I, I try to stay stoned. <laughs> to calm me down, to keep me focused. For me, it works great. Other people, like some of my employees, no way, man. They're, they ain't no ganja for them. We stand today. The Business Method. The business with method. a shout The Business Method. The Business Method Podcast. The Business Method Podcast featuring Chris Reynolds. Entrepreneurs, systems, methods, tools, and tactics for location independence. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, I'm your host, Chris Reynolds, and welcome to the Business Method Podcast, a podcast featuring successful entrepreneurs and high-profile people dissecting their online and location-independent business models. We dissect the different methods, tools, and tactics of high-performance online entrepreneurs and high-caliber people in a series format. On our first series, we interviewed 100 entrepreneurs in 100 days that had built businesses creating $100,000 or more annually. On our second series, we are interviewing 100 entrepreneurs that have built location-independent businesses that generate a million dollars or more in annual revenue. There's a growing movement of people building these caliber of businesses, and we are getting behind the minds, the logic, and the science of what it takes to build businesses like this. On top of that, we also gather entrepreneurs at events and retreats around the world. This October, we are having our annual event in Thailand, Get Shit Done Live. It's 10 days of high-performance productivity, targeted collaboration, and rapid execution designed for entrepreneurs to get a lot of work done in a little amount of time. Some say it's like 10 months of work in 10 days. There's a magic that happens when brilliant minds come together to push one another towards productive execution. That is exactly what this retreat is about. Check out all the details at thebusinessmethod.com. That is thebusinessmethod.com now. Let's jump in today's show. The Business Method. Welcome to the Business Method podcast, listeners. We're happy to have you here today. Marijuana and cannabis are a hot topic in today's world. As more and more countries and states start to legalize the use and distribution of both marijuana and cannabis products, the more businesses start to emerge in the industry. Today's guest is a pioneer in the industry, creating businesses helping cannabis growers all around the U.S. Chip Baker is the founder of Cultivate Colorado, which sells special potting soil for marijuana plants. Over the years, Chip has built up two brick-and-mortar grow stores, and even with two physical stores, Chip has created an eight-figure location-independent lifestyle. Listen up, you guys, as we dive deep talking to Chip about how he grew these businesses, the cannabis industry today, and creating a location-independent lifestyle while running physical stores. It's a great episode, and without further ado, Chip Baker. Entrepreneurs, systems, methods, tools, and tactics. Listeners, I'm really excited to welcome Chip Baker to the show live from Colorado. How are you doing, Chip? Oh, man, I'm doing awesome today. We're live? Well, not live, but I mean, we're recording. <laughs> <laughs> I'm alive. I'm alive. You're alive, right? I'm alive. We're both alive. <laughs> yeah, welcome. Friday, Friday morning. I'm in beautiful Colorado. Chris, you're in Italy today. But modern technology, man. It's amazing, right? Halfway across the world. You know, I grew up without cell phones in the 90s. 
And, um, I I remember I went to boy scout camp and we had this, we went in this tent and there was this military device that could talk to people in England. And we would talk to boy scouts in England. I was blown away. I thought to myself, wow, that's so cool. We could talk to somebody halfway across the world. Now we do it every day with this cool thing called the internet. And, um, you know, it's crazy how well we can connect with everybody and get you on the call on the other side of the planet. Oh, uh, yeah, I know. It's fabulous, man. I work with people all over the world via Skype and email and cell phone now. And it, it's just incredible how con- connected I can be to the international marketplace. That's yeah. for sure, man. And especially in your industry, like it's I'm sure technology has made a huge difference in making the cannabis industry and everything that you're working for possible because even my dad's generation, they're still in that old mindset that um, marijuana makes you go crazy, right? And <laughs> people people are learning, you know, that it doesn't. The old reefer madness shows that <laughs> teach us these things. Yeah, you're you're absolutely well. I keep trying to disprove all those myths. I, I uh, smoke as much ganja as I can. Uh, <laughs> sometimes that's all day long. Sometimes that's not for days at a time. Uh, but uh, so far, uh, my friends and people around me tell me I'm the most productive person they know. Uh, and they, they don't understand why or how I do you know all the, the things I do. Um, and man, really my response is, you know, uh, uh, focus organization and man, like I, I try to stay stoned to calm <laughs> me down, to keep me focused, you know, and, uh, if for me, it works great. Other people, like some of my employees, no way, man, they're, they no ganja for them. Yeah. I, I'm like one of your employees. Like it, it doesn't help me focus whatsoever. <laughs> I'm I'm curious. Like uh, growing up, I knew a lot of people that would use marijuana um, if they had uh, maybe if they had ADD or ADHD or were just hyperactive or they had uh, they just couldn't sleep really well. Is the reason why you use it? Is it is it one of those, or you just love it, or what's what's the background there? You know, really, you know, interestingly, um, I grew up in a really religious background and around 16, uh, you know, I, I had, I'd used cannabis, you know, for a, a moment as a, as a kid tried it, but then I heard about how it was good for migraines and I'd had migraines since I was a little kid. Um, and, uh, yeah, like had a migraine one day, came home from school, nobody was home. I fired it up and, uh, wow, man, it, it, it totally helped my migraine. And I didn't have to take like the pharmaceuticals that have been prescribed for me that just made me feel weird and and made me feel really unproductive. Yeah. Uh, and, and that kind of set it off for me, honestly, but yeah, ADHD, I mean, I have a hard time focusing. I, I make this joke. If I, if I have five spare minutes, I'm trying to start another business, you know, (laughs) makes sense. Well, I'm really glad to have you on the show, Chip. And you have an interesting story. We were talking about your business before you came on the show, because we're interviewing location independent entrepreneurs and you have two brick and mortar grow stores. Um, but the cool thing about the business models that you've built is that you don't go to the stores that often or the plants. Um, don't, you don't tell people when you're in town, you're in, you're in between Colorado and California or somewhere else. And you run it all on SOP zoom in your phone. 
And I thought that was amazing. You know, there's there's this movement of location-independent entrepreneurs that are running um, online businesses, and everything is tech, right? But we don't get to hear the stories so much of people that do still have their brick-and-mortar stores that have built those in models into location-independent businesses. So I was super stoked when I heard that to have you on the, on the mic. But um, I just kind of want to hear your story and hear about your experience and how you uh, grew into the entrepreneur that you are today. Man, you know, I come from a, a long line of, of business people from my great, 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 great grandfather, Ezekiel Baker. He uh, developed the Baker carbine that was a military carbine for the British Navy. Um, and, uh, that same carbine helped, uh, the British Navy lose or the British, uh, in general lose the American revolutionary war. Um, <laughs> <laughs> he was, he was kicked out of England after that and ended up in Virginia. And, and, uh, that just kind of started a long line of entrepreneurs from, uh, gunsmiths to toll roads, uh, to farming, um, you know, uh, uh, real estate and sales, uh, and you know, my parents, they, they always had, they had day jobs, but they always had a side project that they were doing for extra cash. We, we weren't wealthy, you know, my, my father and mother made ends meet by working overtime and, um, they would go to auctions and get furniture. We'd refurbish the furniture as a family project and, um, you know, then we'd sell a piece of furniture, you know, five or six pieces a year or something like that. Uh, um, you know, my mom, she was a caterer and every weekend she would, uh, uh, have some sort of wedding or, or birthday or something like that where she would make cakes or, you know, cater the event, so to speak. So it was really my parents, my mom specifically really instilled that like, you know, uh, uh, have a, have a day job, work a second independent job. Cause that, that's how you're going to get ahead. Mm-hmm. And, uh, so yeah, you know, big ups to my mom for sure. And my, and my dad for, for putting that into me. Um, a lot of people don't get it, but I started early, uh, I was, you know, bubble gum and newspapers and, you know, all the classic stuff entrepreneurs do. Yeah. Uh, and, 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 and kind of moved to, to weed pretty quickly. Based on your love for it, or did you see a good opportunity, or what was it? (laughs) It was, it was opportunity, man. Of my friends, we we finally had a real sack of cannabis, and it had seeds in it, and it donged on me that this was a plant, and I said, "Man, we can grow this shit," (laughs) and uh, and it it kind of blossomed from there. Uh, But you know, interestingly, you know, I I decided years ago that that cannabis it was it, it. it was hard for me to scale. It was hard for me to keep, um, you know, uh, it was hard for me to keep, uh, occupied all the time. Um, and, and decided that a great customer would be the other ganja growers that were my friends and families. And I should figure out how to sell stuff to them. Mm. Uh, you know, my, my, my uncle dude, another, uh, a great business influence in my life. He was a farmer and, uh, you know, I saw how hard it was being a farmer and ganja farmers, they got it hard, especially, you know, the nineties and early two thousands. Um, it was different environment than it is today. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, I developed a customer base and, uh, started selling 
ancillary products to cannabis people. And that was around 2002, and it, man, it just kind of like blossomed from there. Wow. At this time, were you in Georgia? You know, at this time, I was in California. Okay. Um, this would be, this would, uh, I imported my first bricks of cocoa fiber around 2002. Okay. Uh, cocoa fibers, the short fibers uh, around uh, the coconut. And, and throughout Asia, they take those long fibers and weave them into textiles. And then the short fibers, it's a waste product. So for years, it's been burned or pushed into the ocean. And uh, some genius before me figured it out that you could, uh, you know, change this stuff into a great potting soil medium. And, you know, just happenstance, it actually ended up being good, really good for cannabis because it's a high oxygen exchange rate, the high potassium charge that's already in it naturally. Yeah, I just started importing that stuff in 2002. I was one of the first importers of it and first uh, manufacturers of potting soil. So this is the time when California is kind of opening. I don't know the timeline exactly, but yeah. California's starting to open up for, for legalization of marijuana, right? Absolutely. In 2002, 1996, 215 um, uh, uh, made medical cannabis tolerated in many communities throughout California, even though it was still unregulated. Uh, 2002, the kind of veil got lifted a little bit and it allowed people to kind of grow as much as they want as long as it was for medicinal purposes and they could prove it. Um, without regulation. So it was really the heyday is when I, I started these businesses in California. And it, it was growing like wildfire. At the beginning, I literally thought I had six months worth of inventory. This would have been 2004 when I first started making potting soil. Mm -hmm. uh, I thought I had six months of inventory. I put one ad out in one industry magazine, sold out in six weeks. <laughs> so you said, oh crap, where can I give us some more of this? <laughs> yeah, and at the time, like, you know, India and Sri Lanka, that's where I was getting this product from, still didn't have internet service. So it was phone calls in the middle of the night. Wow. You know, and they're broken English and, you know, uh, uh, it's 4 a.m., they just call randomly sometimes and, you know, I'm half asleep or half stoned or drunk or whatever it ha might happen to be on that day. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, you know, it was a different world. We just make a deal and, you know, three months later I'd get product again. So there, there's the problem here is I thought I was actually going to go out of business at that time because I had such demand and then I couldn't actually fill any more product for s three months. Wow. Yeah, totally, totally. So, uh, and back then, I'm sure, what you had to do is you had to wire, to get the, the product to California, did you have to wire money to their bank accounts and just sit and wait until it showed up? Totally. Customs was completely different back then, and at that point, you would rely on like a deposit, and then you'd get a bill of lading, and as soon as you get a bill of lading, that means it's in the shipper's hands, and they had a count of everything that was on the container or the number of containers, and you you could feel relatively safe that at least somebody put a load of something on the container, <laughs> <laughs> right? Right. So, uh, uh, you know, yeah. Then we just like trust and like you know send someone in Sri Lanka you know, 10, 20, $50,000 mm -hmm. and, uh, kind of cross our fingers, hope for the best. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> How long do you have? Sometimes that? it got screwed. Sometimes it, it worked out most, man, 90% of the times it worked out. That's good. You know, that's good. How long do you have that business? 
Um, well, the, the initial one, as all businesses, the initial one didn't really work out. The idea was kind of sound, but I needed to retool it. So, so that one, the, the first imports went from 2002 to 2004. And then I moved down to uh, Santa Cruz, California uh, for my wife to go to school. And we started a manufacturing plant in 2004. Uh, uh, where we, where we started the next business, which was actually making potting soil. Um, uh, that lasted in that location and a few other locations until I sold it in 2016. Yeah. Under the name Royal gold, Royal gold cocoa. That's right. Uh, during this time you were, you were plugged in with a lot of the people that were pushing the legislation for legalization, right? And you were part of that. Yeah, well, we've always worked for uh, 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 in the cannabis movement, um, cannabis for hemp, can- medical cannabis, um, and it, it's important to support that that type of community, man. Any, any business you're in, you really need to like think about uh, the laws and, and and how they might affect you. Yeah. Um, and the cannabis, you know, grower was my customer. You know, so it was important to me, um, not only in a business mindset but morally too, that you know uh, uh, they were able to to prosper. Right. These days, Chip, what are some of the uh, medical illnesses or ailments that people are usually using cannabis for? The biggest thing that that, that the demographics say, the biggest group of new consumers into the into the, the the using cannabis, it's for pain. It's for reducing pain medication, mm-hmm. um, and all of the side effects of pain medication. So many, many older people or people that have uh, pain medication or chronic pain problems, man, they just they, they need the medication, the pharmaceuticals, but it, it makes them irritable. And to even like cut their consumption down any amount and be able to use edible cannabis, CBD, edibles. So that's the number one effect we've seen. Just like humans, you know, dance affect people differently. Like I love caffeine, uh, black coffee, please. Uh, I also, you know, love weed, but, uh, yeah. but it's beyond medical now, you know, it really, there's so much, you know, adult cannabis, they call it recreational, but that's not really the, the, the best description of it. Adult use. Uh, um, but man, you know, a lot of that's just like for people to relax, so that really, even though that's considered adult use, like the primary like reason people smoke and consume cannabis is to relax. Now, I, I'm sure, I don't know if you know the statistics on this, but I'm really curious. I always get in debates with my family about the the dangers of alcohol compared to cannabis. And from what I've heard, that alcohol is a much more danger drug, dangerous drug than than cannabis has ever been, ever reported to be. And so I'm curious: do you know any of the statistics behind that? Exactly how that looks? N- man, not really. But I do support that sentiment. Um, you know, the thing about about cannabis, the good and the bad thing, is it's the it's the number one way to ruin most parties. And you walk in, the vibe slows down, everybody sits on the couch. And 45 minutes or an hour later, everybody goes home, right? You know, or like, hey, man, let's go out and party. Oh, yeah, here, let's smoke some weed. Oh, maybe, hey, let's, let's watch Star Wars again. Yeah. You know, <laughs> where, 
where alcohol has this completely different effect of, you know, yeah. uh, it, it, it stimulates and depresses you. You're ready to go, you know, like, yeah, let's go, let's go. And, <laughs> um, I think the most dramatic s- statistic your, your listeners could, could find though would be on stoned driving versus drunk driving. Uh-huh. Um, and, uh, throughout Colorado, throughout many of the other medical and legal States, they have, they have shown that it's, uh, uh, you're, you're to a degree, if you're not stoned out of your head, you're a better driver, um, than you are normally. Now I would not recommend this for most people, but you know, the people I'm talking about, they might need a little weed behind the wheel. <laughs> uh, that's a very good point. <laughs> and, and how do you measure stoned out of your head <laughs> to know if you're safe to drive or not? <laughs> You know, hey, they don't have a test for that yet, but it's just the same with alcohol. You know, you gotta, you gotta be like, all right, if I have one drink, I'm going to wait four hours. So you have to kind of like know yourself. Some people can say, oh, I'll have one drink in an hour. I'm fine. Yeah. Right. And the same thing with weed, you know, oh, I can have one hit and an hour or four hours. I'll be fine. Yeah. You know, and, and that's, I think how to just take it. Yeah. You have to know your limits, man. Yeah. Very true. I want to ask you, we're going to talk more about the the business that you're running currently, but I want to ask you some more questions. How do you, how do you. Sure, man. Weed's interesting. I, I love to chat about it. I know we talked, we, we were, you know, business and business organization is what we're, we were ch- here to chat about, but let's, let's talk some more weed. <laughs> it makes a great topic for sure. I, I'm curious about, um, how do you feel the influence of technology has really helped you and the industry? over the past decade grow and, and liberate the the industry really how do you feel that technology's played a role in that man in all agriculture it's the cell phone cell phone communication is has absolutely uh, allowed people to manage and organize businesses and farms uh, uh, spread out over a large area uh, uh you know, even without like having a super phone, just a flip phone to be able to call a farm worker remotely when he's out in the field or out in the grow room and, and chat with him directly or then call you and chat with you directly. Hey, the sprinkler's not working. Hey, the computer's not working. Hey, this isn't working. Oh, just flip that. It really does allow people like me uh, uh, to be able to like replicate themselves, so to speak. You know, because that the and there's all there's almost always a chef in the kitchen. Mm-hmm. You know, few people can just have have line cooks to to make the whole thing happen. Um, but you know, I, I believe the key is to 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 set up a great system and have open communication. Now, the cell phone now it allows for stuff like Zoom, which we use all the time for meetings. Uh, and you know, I think it's really important to see people's face when you have a, a group meeting. I have meetings with all of my top level staff and I set up meetings with other key people in, um, in my company through zoom. Uh, uh, and, and I can do that anywhere and they can do it anywhere. You know, it, it allows everybody the flexibility to, to do that. So your current business cultivate Colorado is the business that you're running. What year did you start that? Well, you know, I have, I, I'm, I'm a chronic 
entrepreneur. I'm addicted to uh, building businesses. So I, I do have a few businesses for sure. Cultivate Colorado, I started in 2009. And uh, we're one of the largest uh, commercial and home horticultural supply stores in the country. Uh, we supply commercial farms and we supply home growers throughout the country, either through them walking into our shop or through direct sales in some yeah. manner. Where are your shops at, Chip? I'm in Denver, Colorado. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we're, we're located in Denver, Colorado. Uh, our commercial wing, however, we sell people all over the country and help help people grow all over the country. Very cool. You know, you mentioned using Zoom and some of the technology used to run the business. How do you have your business set up as a brick-and-mortar business? Um, how do you have it set up so you keep your time limited to how much time you're actually working and how many meetings you're doing per week and um, how much face time you have to have with your team? Sure. So, you know, you you – you mentioned this transition brick and mortar and this new digital world we're moving to of, of subcontractors. Uh, most of the business that's still out there is still you walk into a shop or you call somebody up and buy it. Yeah. So even though we have this like image of digital sales and e-commerce ruling, you know, the world and one day it will, they'll still have to be distribution point there's still going to have to be some sort of people involved. Yeah. Uh, I, I've tried all types of technology. Um, I generally run with the, um, all my businesses the same way. Now that I, I've done it so long, it's just this format that we put together. Um, so, uh, uh, you know, I, I have an overall uh, CFO that keeps everything in line for me now. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, we I joke with her, that, uh, you know, she's the CFO of Chipco, which is, you know, <laughs> all of the several businesses that, that I have or have in development. Um, and she really keeps, uh, a, a, a lot, a lot of stuff in line and, and we've tried outsourcing this. We've tried, uh, um, other CPA offices that, that run all of the taxes and the planning and the controlling of the capital. And that haven't really worked so well until I got like one solid person that could oversee it and do it. Uh, so then, then I have a, a general manager or COO and, um, those two guys have a general manager and a COO. They, they kind of do all the work. Mm -hmm. So the, the four of us, Often the three of us, it's usually three of us at any one moment, but the four of us, we just have uh, biweekly meetings and, uh, you know, talk about all of our metrics. Um, we derive those straight from uh, QuickBooks accounting. I know everyone's out there going, I hate QuickBooks and <laughs> I, everybody hates QuickBooks. I get you. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but it's uh, it, it really is about being diligent with your with your accounting software, no matter what you have, and to make sure that everything is a right number that goes in. Uh, and if you do that, it's incredible at at what is able to happen. Um, QuickBooks, their analytics, their for their it tell will tell you how you are losing and making money. And you can adjust things just one percent at a time, half a percent at a time, and and really start to gain 
you know, really start to gain some momentum. This is the number one thing business people don't do. Right. And I know I, I, I'm a small to medium sized business. I know people that have 50 and hundred million dollar businesses that don't do what I'm talking about. Mm-hmm. Right. That don't run strict intakes, strict outtakes, strict inventory, weekly and monthly and bi-week, bi-monthly PL um, and BL review. Like if you do that, then, man, everything else is just peaches. Right. In my in my opinion. Now, you got there's a million ways to do it, but. You get to plan. You get to have a business plan. You get to put in a a a, um, a, a spending plan, a budget. Um, you know, you get to dream it all up. And if you do that, then all the work's done. I usually plan twelve months at a time. Right now, we're planning for next year for twelve months at a time, and we plan by the month, the week, and then the day. Right? It sounds amazing that you can do that, but it's really not that hard. Right. Is like daily. This is what this employee does daily. This is what this employee does. And that's really how you get those good, good numbers on your operational costs, your inventory needs, no matter if it's retail sales or manufacturing. It makes sense. It's really cool. It's simple. It's old school. It's it's you know, it's it's how businesses and retail businesses are run. But it's the number one thing all of my entrepreneur friends don't do. Yeah, you know, especially my my digital friends that are making ten and fifteen and twenty million dollars, you know, selling uh, cookbooks or selling weight loss programs, um, uh, you know, selling paleo diets. Uh, uh, you know, they just like oh, the money comes, money goes, um, and uh, uh, they don't really have real track of it. Right. What would you say? What What are some suggestions? So I'm sure there's plenty of entrepreneurs that are in that boat. Um, you know, a lot of people just struggle with numbers in general, you know, and, and they don't know mm-hmm. how to find the right people mm-hmm. to handle those for them. What would you say are some of the, the, the best suggestions you could give those entrepreneurs that need to uh, strategize those metrics? Well, the, 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 I always hated math and I, I don't think I really passed too many of those math classes. But as soon as I realized if you put a dollar sign in front of the numbers, it all changed. It's <laughs> a good point. Right? <laughs> it's a very good point. It all changed. And it's it's really embracing it, man. It's embracing it and not being satisfied with the money you're making. You know, I, I've had I've had previous businesses and previous partners and they were satisfied with the fifty, seventy, hundred thousand dollars they were making. And, you know, they didn't care about all the rest of it, right? Because they were satisfied. But, you know, you got you gotta have that drive not to be satisfied really. Um in, in business, man. And in, in order to turn it around, in order to say, oh, I need to do a PL review, like, man, you can't, it's got to be like working out. You have to want to work out. My good buddy, Matt Bickle, you know, who's just an awesome, you know, uh, person, coach and, and fitness guru, you know, that's how he, he explained it to me. That you have to want to do it. And that's what you got to do. You got to want to do it or else it's not going to change. You can't subcontract it out. You know, if you're the entrepreneur, you have to be, if you're the business founder, you have to be at the top of, of the money chain, Yeah, right? You have to be in those conversations. You can't just say, oh, I'm going to let somebody else do it or you won't, you know, it's not going to work out. Not like you want, 
It's a good point, you know, to, to do what we love. We have to do a lot of things we don't like. You're still having those conversations, but you did you say you're doing a company call every two weeks? Yeah, you know, I have a, so my schedule is this, is on Monday, Wednesday, Fridays, I talk to my CFO for probably two hours a day. On the phone or on Zoom, we, we share emails. That's how we work the best together, mm-hmm. right? Uh, uh, Monday through Friday, I, at, at, at least once a day, I talk at the very beginning of the day. Generally, I talk to my COO that's making a, that's running my potting soil plant called a, a Growers. That's my new potting soil brand. Mm-hmm. Um, and we're making a high caliber potting soil for the cannabis community right outside Denver. I talk to him once a day. Uh, I've got a sales meeting, um, with my commercial sales group and my general manager once a week. And bi-weekly, I have a catch-up meeting with all of the head bi-monthly. I have a catch-up meeting with all the heads of every department on one, uh, conference call. And, uh, uh, that's. That's mostly how I do that. I, I spend most of my time m- marketing and do, and developing content, uh, developing sales strategy, uh, uh, really strategizing on on how to stay ahead. Yeah, I would say it's probably ten hours of phone calls a week to keep keep my people and my organization in line. I'm curious how you, I'm always interested how different businesses divide up their expenses. So for example, in your marketing budget, your sales, your operations, um, uh, is there a certain percentage that you're putting back into the business on a regular basis? Yeah. You know, I've struggled with that question over the years and you read all types of formulas Mm -hmm. and you know, you'll hear a formula that says six to 10% and Man, that's just a tremendous amount for 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 starting businesses and even large businesses. Um, I think part of that those numbers might be a little content marketing, native marketing uh, from marketing companies wanting you to spend more money. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> that's a good point, <laughs> right? Uh, I have I have for for years at my former company, we spent six percent was our goal. And sometimes we'd spend more and sometimes we like lie to ourselves and take stuff out of the, the marketing <laughs> to keep it at 6%. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that was our goal. And at 6% for years, we were growing 30% every single year. Okay. And right. this is 6% for marketing. Uh, this is 6%, okay. 6% of, uh, gross, gross sales. Gotcha. Of gross sales we were putting into marketing. At the time, this was all old school foot pounding, knock on the door, go to the customer and talk to them marketing. No digital marketing at all. Were you doing a right. lot of the door knocking back then? Uh, I mean, I started it all out, but, you know, I, man, I really got inspired by uh, um, Four Hour Work Week in 2009. Mm hmm. Right. And it really organized my life, helped me organize my life. Man, I was really inspired by four hour work week and it, it, it really influenced me to work on my business and not in my business. Yeah. So I, I, I train people and I set up a management structure um, and I let people be responsible, man. They like succeed or they fail 
and I try not to micromanage anything after I've spun it out into the world. Right. So if you're a new employee, you know, um, you know, I bring you in, I train you on how I want you to do things. And then after like, I feel the training periods up, like, you know, you're on your own, you're expected to accomplish your goals. If you don't, then, uh, we'll move you someplace else in the company or, you know, you'll move on to someplace else in the world. I want to talk about back in the days when you were working in California and in Colorado. I know you, you by building your businesses, had a hand in helping the progress of the cannabis, cannabis industry. Were you directly involved in any legislation throughout that process? You know, I've, I have been involved with on the backside of it. Okay. Right. Because I, because I have such a, a lifetime experience with the growers, with the distributors, with the manufacturers, I see a real holistic view. So, you know, I, I'll get random calls from people uh, trying to, you know, pass legislation or write legislation or get the facts or the stats uh, behind, you know, here, here's, a, here's a good input. Yeah, here's a good instance. Uh, they were settling. They were trying to determine how many plants someone could have in their home grow here in Colorado. Mm-hmm. And uh, previously, um, it was really ambiguous, and they wanted to set up a state, you know, uh, a state number. And the state number initially was like three. Which it sounds like, oh, three marijuana plants, you can grow all you want on that. But but when you put the details in it, you can't really. So, you know, uh, um, Christian Cedarberg, he was he was uh, writing the policy on that. Um, he's an attorney here in California. I mean, in Colorado and Denver of uh, Vicente Cedarberg law firm firm. Um, he was writing the legislation on that. He gave me a call and he's like, hey, how do I justify more plants? You know, obviously we need more plants. What do you think the number is? And uh, I think it's 44. Right. Okay. And when you when you when you start talking about planting seeds or cuttings or having moms or all of the cultural things associated with growing cannabis, if you want to grow 12 plants in flower, then that was, that was kind of my number is like, you need 44 total plants that you can have. Now, I believe they, that the state of Colorado chose 12 or 16 is the overall number you can have. Um, but, uh, they started out at three. So uh, I felt like I did have an impact there, um, you know. Even, even though if it was just a, a, a question, a few another here's another example. A few years ago, uh, they were trying to determine what a clone, what a plant was, right? Because <laughs> the, the the way that cannabis is regulated here in Colorado is you put a a metric tag, that's a RFID tag that tracks that cannabis from seed to sale is the way they refer to it. But at some point, when do you call that cutting or that seedling an actual plant? Because sometimes the cutting might not might be not that good or not that healthy and you want to throw it away. Or there's a whole commerce in, in selling cuttings and seedlings uh, that doesn't necessarily need a metric tag per plant. Um, so, you know, I had a long discussion with several people that were trying to write policy on what what was a plant, you know, and I believe what we came out with was it can't be more than eight inches tall and eight inches wide. Okay. And that that's a plant. 
right? Uh, which allowed for great commerce with many people be, to be able to sell clones, which are just a, a cuts of mature cannabis plants with known genetics. And then you can have, you know, 50 or 100 clones in a, in a small uh, a 24 by 11 tray uh, and not have to put a 50 cent RFID tag on each one of those clones and still be able to transport it or sell it. Um, so it was really crucial really to one whole segment of, of the business in cannabis to be able to, to sell and make those clones and throw the clones away as opposed to putting a 50 cent tag on it every single time. Oh, that's incredible. How many States is medical marijuana legal in now? Do you know? You know, there's all types of numbers. Okay. Um, and, uh, 36 states they say, but some of the places like Georgia have Jesus laws. Now I'm from the great state of Georgia. Mm -hmm. Uh, and you know, their law is like, well, you can use CBD, but you can't buy it and you can't grow it and you can't sell it. <laughs> <laughs> but they're considered having a medical law if you look it up. Right. Okay. Right. Uh, but uh, uh, it's all over now, and you know there's a growing industry in Arizona, Arkansas, right. Oklahoma, Illinois, Ohio, Maryland, Massachusetts, New York, California, Oregon, Colorado, of course, uh, Nevada, uh, Washington. I mean, it, it's literally going all over the U.S. and uh, and in Canada right now. Canada, they legalized medical cannabis, yeah. uh, recreational cannabis, just this year, and it's going into full production here in the next few few months. It's incredible. And then, do you know how many states have recreational use? You know, I, I think it's around seven states. Okay. Uh, um, but I'm not quite sure on that. It changes every day. Uh, but for sure you have Oregon, Washington, California, Nevada, uh, and Colorado. Um, you know, I'm, I'm sure there's, there's somebody else that I'm leaving off the list. Gotcha. Alaska. I'm curious, like w what's your thoughts on the progression with the industry over the next 10 years? Do you think it'll be a, f a federally illegal, uh, legal in the next 10 years? Well, um, our uh, uh, esteemed commander-in-chief <laughs> may at any moment decide to pull his trump card and legalize cannabis federally. Uh, I, I, I kind of think he's going to do this really? uh, as a uh, vote-getter in many of the on-the-cusp states that he won in the last election. They all had legal cannabis of some sort, medical cannabis laws on the ballots and since then states like ohio uh have passed in arkansas and oklahoma have passed uh, legal cannabis laws and have regulated industry they're developing um you know many other presidents that you know the thing about trump one of the one of the things people voted trump in for and i'm a, i've always been a third party voter so don't think i'm a d democrat or a republican i got totally screwed up politics third party man <laughs> I'm, so, I'm behind you on that <laughs> right so one of the things that got him in was you know people wanted somebody that wasn't entrenched in politics right. that was outside the system and, you know, that's what's kept cannabis from being federally legalized for a long time because there's this whole uh, DEA, FDA um, scheduling restrictions. Right. Uh, uh, the implication with the, uh, you know, the uh, 
the 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 justice system and it's this huge like ball of cash really that's floating around between all of these people with all of these you know between the pharmaceutical industry and the justice industry it's just billions and billions of dollars so people have stepped on it real lightly and obama we all know he was pro weed <laughs> of but, course <laughs> you know you know he he would say stuff like oh well it has to go through the fda or i think it will be but man, I believe the president of the United States just can say, nope, it's federally legal now. Yeah. Right. And uh, he's the type of person that I think would do it. Right. Um, so, Meaning Trump. Trump. You think Trump's Trump. the type of person? Yeah. Yeah. He's he's an outsider. He doesn't adhere to uh, uh, political norms or political proper political channels. He's a business person. Get things done. Worry about it later. And I, I do respect that part of it but that's about it right <laughs> uh, <laughs> um so not not to be in politics but yeah i think cannabis is going to be federally legal soon i think right now we're seeing a huge economy that is starting in the canadian publicly traded market yeah. because they're allowing people to actually have uh a, a uh, real publicly traded companies and real money, not just fictitious penny stocks, so to speak, um, which is what the what U.S. has been dominated with. Um, the the that just billions of dollars are are going up there into the Canadian market right now, and that's going to end up having pressure on the U.S. because there's only 33 million people in Canada, right? 35 million. Yeah. I mean, that's smaller than the whole state of California. Yeah, that's true. Right. So, you know, you're you're talking our, our country, we're 300 plus million, 10 times the size. Like there's going to be this significant pressure from all of that cash to come into the U.S. and to reform it, to to reform the business aspect of it, to purchase businesses. We're already seeing mergers in directly in the cannabis business and in, in my industry, mm -hmm. you know, and on the ancillary side. Uh, that's what we call the picks and shovels, the supply industry to the cannabis, uh, community. Um, we, uh, you know, we're seeing, um, mass consolidation, uh, currently the Hawthorne group, uh, um, which is intertwined with, uh, uh, Bear, Monsanto, Miracle Grow, Scott's, that whole group, uh, you know, it's convoluted, but, uh, they're called the Hawthorne group, privately owned group. Um, have just gone and bought all the top line items, um, you know, in the picks and shovels industry. They bought the the biggest nutrient manufacturer, General Hydroponics. They bought the biggest uh, air filtration company called CanFan. They bought, uh, um, you know, uh, uh, the biggest lighting company, Gavita. They bought the biggest distribution company now, uh, Sunlight Supply. Mm -hmm. uh, and, uh, one of the biggest other bigger nutrient companies, uh, um, pure blend Botanicare. So they're buying all these key, uh, components and they've just bought this distribution company. Uh, and, and what's happened now is they've taken distribution from all of the other, like, you know, five or six major players and the other 20 relevant players in the industry. And now distribution solely through sunlight supply. 
So they're okay. going to they're growing their industry by by having exclusive products. They went and bought all the biggest products that everybody uses that's in every grow store. Man, and honestly, like Hawthorne Group does better business after they buy one of these companies. I could imagine. Yeah. Man, they're they're pros. They hire the best people. And man, people hate on Monsanto. People hate on Scott's Miracle Grow and genetically modified foods. And I see all that. I see it, man. But like in my life, uh, when they bought General Hydroponics, my business with General Hydroponics got better. Yeah. Right. And when they bought CanFan and uh, Botanicare, my business with those companies got better. They offered better terms, you know, the better, uh, better inventory controls, better delivery of materials, better systems, better systems, man. So they're there. I, I get it, man. Like I get it. The man's coming in to take over this homespun business that we've all built from nuts. And, uh, um, you know, it, it, it's happening, but they're doing a better job at it too. Yeah. So, you know, it's a changing environment right now. We're fixing it. I believe we're fixing to have mass consolidation on the distribution of all of the picks and shovels products. I believe that, uh, the Hawthorne group is going to continue to buy, um, the, the distribution companies and the largest brand names and consolidate them. Yeah. It's probably going to push out a bunch of the mom and pop, uh, into a whole different distribution network and change the industry for sure. Yeah. But, uh, man, that's, that's what's happening. I agree. You know, and I see that, uh, that's kind of my argument with, uh, the health food industry right now. There's a lot of mom and pop shops, Mm -hmm. mom and pop farms that are popping up and people are saying, you know, buy local, you know, do, um, have an organic farm, have a natural food farm, raise your chickens on, on grass. And, and, and it's going to push it out until it's popular enough that Monsanto and these big corporations can gobble it up. And then the system goes in the same cycle, right? Then they're going to be the major providers for organic and natural food and, and all the health food industries. And it makes perfect sense. And I think this is really, it's already a, happened. It's already yeah, happened. Yeah, time. it is. You start it is. to look into it. And, you know, I'm also a, a minority owner in a, a yogurt company, um, Chia Viva. Uh, we're a Chia based yogurt. Uh, and so I get to see all like who owns who and yeah. man, Oh man, it it's it's happening. It, it's already happened. But we this, don't even know it. <laughs> this this is a system of capitalism, anyway. This is how it's going to happen. A new industry will pop up. Somebody will get these ideas, and eventually, the big companies will come up and gobble up the competition because they're just more efficient. Bottom line, and right. they can they can do it for cheaper. You know, and it, I mean, it's it's going to happen. You know, in in the podcast industry as well, because you yeah. know, I also have a podcast, the Real Dirt Podcast, and uh, we're I started it three years ago, and so many people have popped up with podcasts, and now I see commercial podcasts instead of radio yeah. shows. They're commercial podcast, or they may bill it as a radio or a television show, or but it's a podcast or video cast. So you know, this new media even though we were able to like me and you were able to get in on it when it was relatively easy, it's going to change in a few years. Sure. You know, yeah. Fox, you know, CBS, uh, YouTube, Facebook, they're going to take it over. Mm-hmm. 
It's very true. But there will always be new things that pop up for us that want to jump in and on market early, which will be fun for us serial entrepreneurs. Yeah, I love to grow and I love to do new stuff. But man, here's here's my day, dude. I wake up at five o'clock in the morning. Uh, I, I, I mill around for a minute. Uh, I, I, I try to work out for an hour. I drink some coffee. I'm, I'm at the computer before seven o'clock nice. doing emails, writing content, putting stuff together. Uh, um, uh, just, just, you know, trying to like organize myself around 10 o'clock employees get in and I'll start getting like a random phone call from people. It uh, doesn't happen often, but my, my meetings usually start, you know, around then. And I end up talking, you know, to to either my crew or other business people um, or other connections, uh, the things I'm trying to build for pretty much the rest of the day. You know, uh, uh, in, in the meantime, I also record a podcast weekly. Uh, I'm, I'm writing like three books, you know, so so then my day around seven o'clock, uh, I, I slow down a little bit, right? Eat dinner, do research, watch TV, just like kind of normal people. Yeah. But and put put that 12 hours in, man. I try to put 12 hours in every single day because I want to. Yeah. I don't have to, man, at all. Right. Like I've, I've done pretty good over the years. I'm 45. I started these businesses when I was like, you know, 30. Um, I have failed, succeeded, failed, succeeded, failed, succeeded. Um, and I, I could just have one job and have a pretty good life. But man, I just, you know, it's not about the money. It's about like doing stuff. Right. Right. Creating, building, you know, feeling relevant, contributing to society and the world. Cause we're not here that long, man. And tomorrow I get hit by a bus. My podcast going to be out for a little while. Yeah. Right. It might even get better. <laughs> right. Not true. You know? Not true, Jim. Not true. <laughs> right. Right. My, I, I put a, I put four, uh, you know, with Royal Gold, I've put four or five different products out over there and that's going to be around for a while they'll probably get bought out by hawthorne in in the future and you know i hope to see some of those name brand products i created and built uh you know like on people's shelves and in trucks down the you know going down the road and uh you know that that's what i want man just to keep making new stuff building and entertaining myself that's incredible, man. I think that's a great way to wrap up the podcast. Chip, I want to give you a huge thank you for coming up on the sh- coming on the show and sharing all your tips and tricks and all your wisdom with us. We really appreciate it. If the listeners want to reach out and learn more about what you have going on, where's the best place they can do that at? You know, the best thing to do is look me up on Instagram um, at the Real Dirt Podcast. And uh, download me on the Real Dirt podcast on iTunes. That, that's that's a great way to follow what we've got going on. You can join our Facebook page, Cultivate Colorado, or the Real Dirt podcast. Uh, other stuff you can look for us in the future are growers, potting soil. Um, we're just in production here in Colorado, and we'll be all over the, the nation very soon. Very cool. Chip, again, thank you so much. Listeners, we're going to wrap up there. We want to thank you guys for joining in the podcast once again, and we'll see you all on the next episode. Goodbye, everybody. Thanks, Chris. Thanks, everybody. 
Hey listeners, thanks for joining us once again. We wanted to remind you about our high performance productivity coaching and our annual Get Shit Done live retreat in Thailand. Both are designed for entrepreneurs by entrepreneurs to get a lot of work done rapidly. And whether you need some personal coaching while working away at home or a retreat in Thailand where you can get out of your normal routine and surround yourself with other successful entrepreneurs, we have those options for you. Check out all the details at thebusinessmethod.com and we'll see you on the next podcast.